0: Welcome, everyone. My name's Nick. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, I'm really quite excited about speaking this morning, Um, which, for those of you who know me, um, is not what I'd normally expect. I preach about twice a year, and uh, I'm a full-time GP, and uh, as you can imagine, that's a busy job, and I don't get often as much time to prepare preaches as as I'd like, really. So when I come up here, it always feels a bit novelty, a bit like sort of what's going to happen today, and I've gone through various stages of learning the craft, and trying not to feel intimidated about my excellent uh, preaching colleagues. Uh, So the uh, um, excellent Alan Harrison and Phil Ford are are here, and and Andrew does so well each week. So Andy sends his love. He's down in London visiting his son, Dan. And uh, so he and Tree are just enjoying a week's break and some uh, some fun, actually. They sent us quite a wacky voicemail and, and text just to give us a glimpse of what they're getting up to. Um, so I think they're having fun down there. They'll be back midweek. So I'm going to tell you a story this morning. Um, we all like stories. I like stories. And uh, it's, it's a strange story in that it's not one that's sort of well-known. It's about Samson's parents. And uh, every time I try and explain to someone, what are you speaking about, Nick? I try and it just sounds odd. So I think what I need to do is give you a context. And so I'm going to be am um, giving a big, a big theme, if you like, a big picture, a canvas that I just is a sense of some of what God is speaking to us. Um, and uh, as I started to think of this and try to explain what was happening, it's almost like there's just too much inside to get it all out. And then I started to remember um, a story um, that we that our, our children had. My teacher is an alien. And, uh, <laughs> I then worried, how on earth can I explain this in terms of a preach? And one of the characters in this, my teacher is an alien, is so big that you can't actually see all of this alien at any one time. And one of the boys is sent up to this bedroom, opens this door, and just sees a tiny little glimpse of what is clearly a vast alien creature. And I feel a bit like that this morning, there's a vast alien creature inside trying to get out (laughs) under... you might just get a little glimpse, a little window of it this morning, but uh, rather than being big and large and scary, I think there's some good stuff that God's put in me, and, uh, and so that's the context. No scary aliens, please. Okay. And really, the other reason I'm quite excited is that this is a story that's lived with me for a long time, and really, as a, a young Christian, his young husband, actually, um, God spoke to me about these, uh, this amazing couple, um, Manoah and his wife, um, and just... Told me quite a few principles, and as the years have gone by, God's been sort of developing and, and sharing more. And I started just to tell Andy this, just as one of our leadership chats, um, and he said, you've got a good preach there, Nick. So that sort of quite shocked me to think there was a preach in, in this little story. Um, so I started to think, and it's really just one of those great blessings about doing a preach. I think you often get more out of it than the people who listen. I hope that's not true today. But God's spoken more and more about this, this story um, and so, I'm going to just sort of get you to turn to Judges 13, and if you just keep your finger there and wait, and I'll give you a bit of a background. Judges is uh, a sequence of stories through Israel's history, and uh, some of you will, you know, read the, the Old Testament regularly, others, it really is just somewhere you don't go very often unless it's to the Psalms or, or what have you, um, But there are some great stories, and and often I think about stories, and I've not done this as well as I could have done as a parent, but there are some great Bible stories that you can just tell as adventure stories to your kids. I'm telling them as adventure stories to yourself. There there are some huge, huge characters there, and uh, Judges is a bit like the boy's own story, Um, There are just lots of great characters um, from Israel's history. There's goodies, there's baddies, um, there's all sorts of uh, fallen characters, but it's it's gripping stuff. So we're going to talk about Samson's parents and not much about Samson himself. But he really was a a strong, wild man. (laughs) Stories about sort of, you know, getting a jawbone of a donkey and killing 300 people. I mean, what sort of hero character is that? I mean, forget Halo, this is sort of souped-up man there, isn't it? Um, the story is about Gideon and I called him from zero to hero he really is you know, a nobody hiding in a wine press trying to thresh some grain for his family angel comes along and suddenly he's catapulted to being the, the saviour of the nation and, and one of his key moments is where they defeat the enemy army just 300 of them just with a lantern and, and a trumpet and uh, you know, they, they go and do these sort of amazing stories in Judges And one fab character um, called Ehud is one of the first judges that's um, mentioned in in the book. And uh, Ehud goes to the enemy king, King Eglon. And apparently Eglon is so fat that he just sort of sits on his throne and somehow intimidates people and has everyone in fear around him. But Ehud had this cunning plan where he went with a sword and uh, just managed to get all the uh, courtiers to disappear. So it's just Ehud, that hero, bad King Eglon there, and, and he stabs him, and Eglon is so fat that the sword goes in, and he just sort of leaves it there, and the fat sort of <laughs> closes around it. <laughs> so there are some fab... St- and what's even better then is he leaves him and shuts the door, and the courtiers think that the bad king is on the loo. So <whistles> they wait an embarrassingly long time while Ehud escapes and, uh, and then goes on to, to save the nation. So there are some hero characters in, uh, in the Book of Judges, but what's, what's sort of sad about Judges is the reason these Judges had to keep coming is because Israel kept messing up. And the story of Judges is these cycles of history where the people would be rescued by God, they'd come into blessing, the blessing would turn their hearts away from God, they turned to sin and started worshipping foreign gods. And God, wanting to keep his people pure, sent enemy armies in so that they would learn a lesson and so the enemy armies came in, they were oppressed, they really were downtrodden and, and often put in slavery um, until they cried out to God and God then in his mercy sent a judge, a hero, someone to, to rescue them and, uh, and bring them back into, you know, right relationship with God, which worked as long as the judge was alive and sometimes while the judge's son was alive but pretty soon the, uh, the people of Israel went back into their old old ways and it really is a, a sad story. And even once the book of Judges has ended, the next story is Israel wants a king. They want someone to rule over them. And really, what they're doing is they're rejecting God as, as the ruler of their hearts. They don't want God to be the ruler, they want some, some man, some hero judge, um, or some king to be, to be the ruler. And as I was thinking about this cycle, you've got these heroes that come with all their amazing stories. You've got the people of Israel who, once someone sort of does the victory, they they get it for a while, uh, but then very quickly fall away. And God really spoke to me to say that the people of Israel couldn't handle freedom. God wanted to bring them into blessing, bring them into freedom, so that they could live in God's goodness all the time. But they couldn't handle this. And as soon as they were let go, if you like, as soon as the judge stopped judging or the king stopped ruling they just fell apart. They started turning to to foreign idols. Um, And really, they just could not handle the freedom and the blessing that God wanted to bring them into. And so really, they needed control. They needed the law. They needed strong rulers to tell them what to do. And that's a danger for us as we look at church cycle, church history, sorry. It has been a cycle of, of great blessing, of great revelation, coming into all the good things. And then, you know, as each cycle has gone by, it's sort of tipped into control, it's tipped into religion, um, people have just been locked down again, the move of the Holy Spirit has suddenly dissipated, and, and we want to avoid that sort of pattern. Um, and so really, just to give a title, I forgot to go back to the title, I was trying to think rather than watch this talk about Samson's parents, sounds a bit lame, doesn't it? Um, but I thought this is the, the title I'm going to throw out there, and a challenge really, Can You Handle Freedom? Is the uh, the challenge for you today, and the title for the talk? Can we handle the freedom and blessing that God wants to bring us into? There's a great psalm, a great verse in the psalm, Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9, that I'll read out for you here. And really, this is: um, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And really God is saying through that psalm, through those verses, that he wants to control us with a heart connection. He doesn't want the law. He doesn't want controlling leaders. He doesn't want people to have to make us stay on the straight and narrow. He wants to have our hearts in such a tender way that we want to do um, what God says just because we love him and just because we want to honor him with everything that we have. These same warnings are also there in the, the New Testament. Um, Galatians 5.13 says, If you are called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity to flesh for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And this really is the choice that we all face, that God has brought freedom for us. Um, we're free from the effects of sin. That's the judgment that would happen if Jesus hadn't died and we'd received his blessing, so there's the judgment of sin, and there's also the power of sin—that tendency towards go back. God has brought us freedom from those sin, those uh, things, but also the freedom to walk in the freedom of the sons of God. We truly are children of the Most High God, and that really is what grace is—that God gives us free reign to do whatever we think fit, and God's then going to help us learn how to do that in the right way. Um, And the danger is that either doing this wrong, walking in freedom in the wrong way, will either lead to our own harm or it'll trample and squash those around us. And there's a few verses I want to read in Corinthians. Um, This is all just part of the scene setting here, this huge theme that I think God's showing us. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. So if we have unconditional love from God, we can do whatever we want, and God still loves us. We don't get more love by doing the right thing or less love by doing the wrong thing. That is the huge message of grace, and that's the freedom that God wants us to live in the good of. But the warning is that living the wrong way, we will trip into a cycle where we go from living in God's blessing, loving God, and living only for God, to there, let the blessing become the thing you 're striving after, and pretty soon you 've forgotten God, and you go into a cycle of, of sin and selfishness. Another verse here, one Corinthians eight verse nine, but take care that this right of yours does not so somehow become a stumbling block to the, to the weak. so again, talking about you know you can eat anything, you can eat any food, um, but don't let your right of freedom somehow you know, cause others to stumble. So alcohol, um, some people like a drink, some people really worry about drink. If I like a drink and, you know, you don't like a drink and you really worry about alcohol, then for me to have a drink will cause you a problem either because you then think, well, perhaps I can have a drink, and then you fall back into a pattern that has trapped you before. Or your conscience is just so guilty that you just feel bad for the rest of the week because of something that I've done in my freedom has then caused you... A problem, so we don 't want to use our rights, our freedoms to somehow become a stumbling block to someone else, and the final verse from Corinthians I wanted to read was one corinthians ten and it 's twenty three and twenty four All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his labor neighbor and this really is the key to how we keep ourselves safe. It's not looking out for what blesses me, what can I do, what can I get away with, but what builds up one another. How can we use our freedom to serve one another? And really freedom, it, we're going to have to talk quite a, a, a lot of times, I think, to unpack fully what God's showing us. Um, sometimes we use words and think, oh yeah, I've got that. So grace has been a huge theme for us as a church. Uh, and grace is, um, freedom is grace in action. Um, grace is God's love and his attitude towards us. Freedom is how we outwork that. Um, and God's showing us more and more about this, and it's a, it's a huge, um, a huge theme. And God really, through the stories of the Judges, went to great lengths to try and bring His, freed, his people out of slavery into freedom. Uh, and we want to learn what we can. And so there we are. So there's a big theme, talking about grace and freedom, and the uh, history of Israel and how they messed it up on a regular basis. And the whole book of Judges has all of these different cycles. And then right in the middle of that, um, in, in chapter 13, we've got this story about Samson's parents. Now, we don't hear about anyone else's parents. We don't hear about the other judges and what their mum and dad were like. And it really sort of struck me as a strange thing. Why, in all of these great themes, why, in all of this you know, epic history, these huge heroes and great adventures, do we get to hear about this man and this woman and, and what happened when an angel turned up? Um, So we're going to look at that, and I'm going to hopefully share some keys. And really the key that I want you to sort of spot as we're uh, reading through this is how did they respond when God showed up? How did they avoid some of the pitfalls that could have trapped them, and how can we then live in the blessing of God's favor and freedom? All right, so if you've got your Bibles at Judges 13, I'm going to read out for you. So it's a a good story, not too long, hopefully, if you just follow it or lean over someone's shoulder and follow theirs. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, um, if anyone else has got that. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you're barren and have no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he's from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we're to do with a child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God again came to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true... What is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink strong wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah didn't know that this was an angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? The angel said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar the angel of the Lord went up in a flame from the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, "'We shall surely die, for we've seen God.' But his wife said, "'If the Lord had meant to kill us, "'would he have accepted our burnt offering "'and the grain offering at our hands "'or shown us all these things?' Or announced to us such things as these, and the woman bore a son, and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord came, began to stir him, in Manedan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So quite a story there, and uh, I think there's some things. And what I'm going to do now is just go back through the story and pick out some of the things that God's shown me through this. Obviously, it starts with uh, Israel again doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And uh, just as we said, this sad cycle in, uh, in Israel's, Israel's history. And God allowed the Philistine nation this time to come in and oppress them. Next verse is talking all about Manoah. So we know which tribe he was from, which town he was from, and what his name is, and his wife. What's her name? This poor woman is mentioned as the wife, the woman, my wife, this woman. Nowhere does this woman get mentioned. And uh, I've sort of thought about this on and off, because God mentions lots of hero women in the Bible. The Bible is full of great characters who've all striven hard, so God clearly doesn't have a problem with women. But why isn't this woman mentioned? And God really spoke to me that, you know, so there's Manoah, he's got a a name, he's got a standing in society, we know exactly where he lives and what tribe he's from, and the woman is just his wife, or just his wife, and you can really take offense at that, but clearly she's the one who met the angel, she's the one who heard God, she's the one who said right at the end, don't worry if it wasn't God, if God was angry with us, he'd have destroyed us, so she clearly is quite some woman. And God really spoke to me that, we can take offense at lots of different ways in which God moves. And we can take offense and sort of say, well, that's just not right. But we've got to be very careful. And so one of the things we'll notice is there's lots of opportunities through this story to take offense at what God's doing. Um, But just be reassured, whether you think you've got a name, a standing, a place in society or not, really in God's eyes is irrelevant. God can use you, God can speak to you. Um, whether you have that status or whether you are just the woman, the wife. And uh, all the opportunities to take offense to that, ladies. Please don't take offense. So clearly we know a bit more about her. She was barren and had no children. But actually, again, if you think through the Bible, there are lots of stories of some amazing women who are all barren and had no children. There was Sarah, who then went on to become the mother of Isaac. Rebecca um, went on to become uh, Jacob's mom. Hannah, who prayed so hard the uh, priest thought she was drunk, Um, she was barren until God blessed her and she had uh, the prophet Samuel. And then even in the New Testament, Elizabeth, um, Mary's sister, who was the mother of John the Baptist. And we've really got to be careful that we don't look at our current circumstances and say, well, I'm barren and I have no children. And you can look at that in any context that you want. You might be unemployed and have no prospects. You might be you know, friendless and feel that nobody loves you. You might sort of just have that nothing good has ever happened to me. You might feel barren and childless, you know, whether you've got kids or not. Um, but that's, again, another reason why you could write yourself off. You could paint yourself out of the picture. But clearly in history, the Bible teaches us very well that, that it's not a barrier to God moving. So don't write yourself off if you haven't yet seen the promise that God's given you or you don't feel you yet have a promise. So the angel turns up. And really, the big, big thing that I think runs through this is that all of this story hinges on this encounter with the angel who's a messenger sent from God's presence. And angels really are a huge subject in the Bible, but I've got to admit to uh, being what I've called angel blind. You can sort of look at a story and just miss out the angel bit. So that line where it said, um, about the angel of the Lord appeared... I just read the Lord appeared and when the angel spoke I just read that the Lord spoke and so I managed to airbrush the angel out of the story and then it was just a communication between me and God or between Manoah and and his wife and God. But angels are a huge subject and I must confess I don't know a lot about, you know, who angels are, what angels are and I think this really is a teaching for another day but I did have a quick look, got my little Bible search thing and there are 185 mentions of angels in the New Testament. So clearly God's showing us things and uh, I think we're going to hear more about what angels do. Um, and they are created beings, they're part of God's creation and they're also, they live in God's presence. What a, an amazing place to live in God's presence and God sends his angels to, to help his people, to guide us, to protect us. Um, great verses and promises like the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So God clearly has a role for angels but also, there are warnings in Scripture that we don't worship angels. They are just God's servants, and they're not, they're not God. So, the angel appeared, it says at the beginning of the verse there, and... I uh, missed out a whole section from my notes there. It says very helpfully, Behold, you're barren and have no children. Which is uh, <laughs> stating the obvious... But again, I think there's some encouragement here that God does know our circumstances and we can often feel barren and childless. We can often feel that we're not in a good place and you think, I hope nobody notices and I hope God doesn't notice because what would everyone think if they really find out that inside I'm just an empty shell and we can have that feeling of, I better not let anyone know. But the great thing is God does know and God wants us to be honest with God and, and honest with one another and that is the place in which God was moving. So God does know, and the angel did speak, um, clearly, behold, you're barren and have no children. But here's the promise, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Um, So a great great promise there that she then had to to hold on to. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child you shall conceive and bear a son, no razor on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God. From the room. And a Nazarite, um, it was a vow that you could take in the Old Testament, and there was this office of a, a Nazarite and someone who's set apart for God. And there were lots of rules and ins- instructions about um, not cutting your hair, not um, eating anything or touching anything unclean, not drinking any alcohol. Um, so th- that was a, she would have known about that through knowing the Old Testament and, and the law, but this was clearly an instruction for her. So even as the child was in the womb, he would have this holy set-apart standing before God. And then we move on. Her response was when she had this, and this is what blessed me most, is she ran to tell her husband. Um, And there's lots of good things you can see in this. So clearly the story is about a husband and wife, and what God spoke to me way back when was about being a husband with a wife who saw and heard God more easily than I felt that I did. Um, But it doesn't matter whether you are a husband with a wife or or partnered in any way. It's even just in the community of God's family. The good response when God has shown you is to run and tell someone else, share it with someone else. And that does several things. That sort of confirms it a bit more in you, and it helps you sort of weigh it and work it out. What does this mean? Where do we have to go with this? Um, And it really sort of expresses this notion of partnership with one another, interdependence on one another. It wasn't any superiority check me, I, I heard an angel, whoa, you know, there's no sense of superiority, this really was just um, her wanting to share and respect her husband in, in that, and I was mostly blessed by Manoa's response, and I think we, I, I, what I did way back when was I placed myself, what would it feel like if I was Manoah, if I was that husband, and my wife came running in from outside, I've just seen an angel. And If you just sort of put yourself in that in that situation, there are all sorts of responses, all sorts of ways in which you could just sort of strong wine and drink, eh? Hey? You know, you could sort of rubbish it would be the instant, or you could take offence. You know, well, oh, didn't turn up to show me anything, did he? So why why you and not me? Um, and there are lots of negative um, responses that you could you could have for that. But clearly. You could feel competitive, well, next time I see an angel, it's going to be a lot bigger than your angel. Um, <laughs> you could really get into all sorts of negative attitudes, can't you? You can be sort of critical, resentful, or just, I'm such a worm, I'm such a miss nothing ever, nothing good is ever going to happen to me, and, and you can take all of these different offenses um, when things don't happen to you the way that you think that they should do. But this is the reality that we are all at different stages in our walk. We are all at different stages from being baby Christians to Christians for decades. People who easily hear God and see visions to those who really struggle and I'm sure do hear God, but they've convinced themselves that they don't. And, you know, we're all at different stages in our journey, different stages in our experience in learning this, this walk with God, um, different ease of understanding what's happening in the, the spiritual realm. And it is very easy for all of us to feel threatened. We could all feel that there must be something wrong with me because, um, or to feel inadequate or or insecure. But I think the key is, and this is what God spoke to me um, a long time ago, as I've said, is that it's important that we honor the gift that we see. So when someone does come with a word, someone does come with a picture, someone does come with a revelation that they've got and you haven't yet got, um, that we honor that person and we honor the gift in one another. And, and so when Jan and I were learning how to, to work together and you know, to share our differing gifts, um, that I honored what Jan was bringing and helped her come into, into the fullness of that. Because it will be, I think competition is, is the big danger, isn't it? If we try to compete with one another and think, well, if anything is good going to happen, it's going to happen like that. And so you know, we, we've got amazingly gifted people amongst us as a church But if all of us think that the only way God can use us is if we look like Andy Merrick, um, then, you know, it's not going to happen. And (laughs) Some of us are more thankful than others that it's not going to happen. But, you know, what a drab place that would be if we're all little robots that looked exactly the same. God has given us amazing gifts and characters and qualities. And you just need to stand here and look at the lovely faces looking back at you to think there are so many different characters. And even if two people are similar they're still very, very different and still worlds worlds apart. And so it really is that place of accepting yourself as you are. This is who I am. This is what God's made me to be like. And then finding out more from God about what does that look like. And so as I work on finding out what God intends me to be and how God loves and accepts me just as I am, and as each of you do the same, and as we start to learn about each other, then we can honor the gift in one another without feeling competitive, without feeling disappointed, without feeling that God can't use me because I don't look like so-and-so. And And this all really comes down to the other theme that God's been speaking to us recently is about our identity. When we're secure in who we are because we are sons of God, we are sons of male and female, just to emphasize, Um, that we're secure in our identity as children of the Most High God, And whether we do amazing things or we see the amazing things or not, or whether we think we're just little me, you know, we still are secure in our identity, then that releases us into a whole realm of freedom. And uh, God can start to to move and use us. And I've often been struck by um, Paul's confession at the end of his life, that he's run the race, he's achieved that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of him. And each of us does have a that. There is something that each one of us has that only we can do. And I I really want each of you to to find out from God, what is your that? What is the thing that God has called you for? Now, sometimes that is going to be big picture. God sort of downloads something really special, and then it's just a case of outworking it. More often than not, it's not. It's just sort of little step by little step, and you just do the, the, the next thing that you see. And as you do that faithfully... God shows you the next thing after that. But I think one of the key things I want for each of us to find here and as a family to work together is that we get into this freedom of being ourselves, that we find that place where I can be me, you can be you. We're not threatened by each other. We're not worried by each other. And we're not sort of, there's no place for me in church because I can't see anyone doing what God's put in me. And so many people do sort of opt out just because, well, everyone else is doing one thing. I think something different but the the family picture that I have is that we can be in this place where you can be fully you doing the thing that God's gifted you to do alongside me and everyone else as each of us finds our part and we learn how to to walk together. So this is just a a huge thing that I I really picked up from Manoah um, that his response was a great response um, and I think he managed to avoid offence and really the sort of phrase that I've had that sort of means a lot to me and again it might mean something or not to you but just sort of if you have this big picture of what God wants to do in the earth then paint yourself in there's a part of that picture where you are there's a part of the picture that is just reserved for you and we have the option we can either paint ourselves out you know there's nothing here for me or you can paint yourself in you can go through the process of asking people who know you and love you what's my gift what's my calling what do you see in me you can pray and you ask God yourself and so you find that identity you find that that, that God wants each of us um, each of us to walk in. So going back to Manoah, I was really blessed by his response is that he heard his wife and rather than necessarily say, taking offense, rather than being critical, his first response was to pray. Then Manoah it says in verse 8 pray to the Lord and said, Oh Lord. And really that Sort of key of your first response being turned back to God is just a great one of expressing faith. It's a great one of just acknowledging that whoever this man was, whoever this angel was, it was God who who sent him and it's God who would be the one who would work things through. And that sort of acknowledging what his wife uh, had said to him really sort of was giving confidence to her, so it respected her and didn't doubt his wife, but also acknowledged that God had a big part in it. And even in his praying, he's expressing great faith. He said, the child who will be born. He knew that this man had spoken, the man came from God, and what the man of God had said would would happen. And I remember the story in the New Testament where John the Baptist's dad, so of course Elizabeth was married to Zacharias, and he was the priest at the time. And the angel appeared to him this time. So there's Zacharias Um, He's the priest, he's the man of the minute for the day, um, and the the, the sort of celebration. And he was the one who went into the Holy of Holies, and the angel appeared to him this time. So that's reassuring for all these guys, God does appear to angels as well. Um, His response wasn't quite so good then, how will I know for certain that all that you've said will come to pass, and who remembers what happened to him? He was struck dumb, that's right. So the angel said, this is how you're going to (laughs) know. And uh, everyone else knew that the angel had appeared because he came out and all he had to do was "Mm," try and write on a bit of paper. Even to give his name, his son a name, he had to write the name John on the the piece of paper. Um, So clearly we don't want to be like Zacharias and respond in a, a negative, you know, what does this mean, how will this happen? But to be much more the man of faith who says, when your words come true. I've lost. So Manoah, um, bless his heart, fully identified with all that the angel had said to his wife. So he's praying, he's asking God, come again to us and teach us what we should do. And so again, he wasn't sort of counting himself out. He wasn't excluding himself from you know, the un- unfolding of God's purposes. He wanted to be partnered with his wife, fully identified with what God had showed her. And he basically counted himself in. So he painted himself into that picture. And I think that did lots of things for his wife. I think if he, she was that wife who, all through the story, doesn't have a name, gets this sort of weird experience out and, uh, you know, hears this angel speaking, um, worried what's her husband's reaction going to be, imagine the security that brought to her, imagine the release that would be for her. And, and just recently, we've been ministering in different churches, we've Come across people who have had great gifts, but because those around it have just been sort of, you know, lacking in gift and discernment themselves, they've really doubted: Is this God? Is this something that is true, or am I just actually going off my head? And, and many of us in the room here will had experiences that where God starts to show things to you, and not yet to other people, and and it's a horrible place to be in, where you think you're just going off your head because no one else sees what you've just been, what you've just seen. Excuse me, my device is turned off. And so that's a great thing when we can partner, so this is husband and wife in the story, but we can partner with one another, we can encourage one another, and we can respond well when people share things. And that does bring a release because then she was very happy then to go back and to hear God a second time because of the security that Manoah had brought to her. Okay, so yes, just to honor and encourage others. And that my reaction could have shut Jan up in what God was showing her, or it could release her to hear God again. And each of us has that capacity. We can shut down a move of God just by a negative reaction, or we can be so receptive that God shows us more. So, verse nine. Manoah. Sorry, God listened to Manoah, and oh, that's just a great thing, there, isn't it? That God does listen when we pray. Um, he wants to be found by us when we seek Him. But watch this, what does he do? So Manoah, bless him, he's responded well, he's sought God, he's asked God, and so what does God do? Sends the angel to his wife. And uh, a poor guy, he's really all these opportunities to take offense. Um, God, I was doing all the right things there, why didn't you show me? Um, But again, another opportunity to take offense. And so really God just reminding us that it's so easy to take offense many times. And God's idea, God just does not have our idea of fairness. So what we think should or shouldn't happen just isn't, God isn't interested at all. God's after our heart attitude and not whether we think it's fair or not. So the angel comes again and he comes again to his wife who is out in the field. Now the first time I read this, read it in the New Testament. I thought like a good Old Testament, sorry, when I read it in the New International Version, I thought, well, there she was, bless her, that wife, out in the field, working away, toiling, sweating, doing what a good wife should do. And I just sort of created this picture, which, you know, again, is another reason to take offence, so don't take offence. But actually, if you read in other translations, the New International is the only one that says, out in the field. And must have said something about me that I assumed out in the field meant working in the field. Says a lot more about me because the rest of them said sitting in the field, and sitting in the field is a lot different to working in the field. <laughs> so, so as I read in preparing for this, I had to very quickly sort of uh, change some of my thinking. So, this good woman was sitting in a field, and that really speaks of contemplation. You don't really sit in the field for any other reason other than just watching the sheep go by, looking at the flowers, listening to the skylarks, thinking on godly things. So, she was, you know, could be reading too much in here, but it's a place of rest and a place of contemplation. Um, And I think that's a good place to be if you want to hear God. And Manoah wasn't with her, so what was Manoah doing? And again, you can read lots into that um, if you want. But um, verses 10 and 11, um, good wife, she went and ran to get her husband, and just a great picture of, of working together. She had the vision, but she wanted him to be involved, and so she ran to include him in it and he then followed um, to find out more um, and again Manoah takes a lead doing what a good husband should do and says again expressing faith um, what should be the instruction when your words come true but even more opportunities to offense the angel said all that I told the woman that's what you've got to do and so he goes on and repeats exactly so Manoah says you know What should we do for his future? How should we look after him? You know, what preparations should we make? The angel didn't answer any of those questions. He just said to Manoah, what I told your wife, listen, and that's what's going to happen. But then he carries on in verse 13, let her be careful to do all that I've said. So the angel is giving Manoah a role where he can support, encourage, and remind Manoah's wife what it is that God has said story goes on, and there's just good hospitality there. Um, so Manoah, just being a, a, good, a good Old Testament guy, knew that strangers come along, you feed them, didn't really realize that it was an angel, um, which if he's just seen a man in the field, and this is one of the ways which we can become angel blind. Angels don't always, you know, have short skirts and, and pretty wings like they do in Hollywood. You know, it said this angel was very awesome. Sorry. Come back to you, any of you guys who might be sort of drifting away there at that point. Um, so uh, angels in the, in the Old Testament often look like regular people and it's very easy um, to, to miss an angel because he just looks like a, a regular guy. So Manoah didn't know that it was an angel until it says he went up in the flames from the offering and, and didn't come back. And then it twigged to poor old Manoah, oh my word, we've just seen an angel and sadly, his response wasn't the best response, so he's done well so far. Um, lots of faith, lots of supporting his wife, lots of counting himself in. But then he comes with, we're going to die. And uh, his... <laughs> Bless him, it's just all been too much. He's, he's held it together for so long. But again, what great partnership in action. Um, his wife there in verse 23 Um, reassures him, said, why would God accept our offering? Why would God show us these things and speak such great things to us if he meant to to kill us and and to judge us? And she continues to show good respect for her husband even though he not only didn't see the vision and not only was now a blubbering heap at her feet. Um, But she still showed him respect and she's able to, to reassure him and just to bring him into the place of faith that she was. And that really is what we want to do with one another because there will be those who see what God's doing amongst us and it will just be the world's about to end, you know, and it just all is too much to cope with. And those who are more comfortable in the presence of God, those who are more comfortable seeing the supernatural do need to have a good heart to those who don't. And not to rub it in the nose is not to be superior, but to be those who help one another so that together we can come into the good things that God has for us because we do all have a different ability to hear God. We do have different comfort levels in in the supernatural and the presence of God. But we want to work together without criticism or without put down. And then right at the end of that chapter then, it says very little about Samson. Um, And it really is just, as I say, a story that God's spoken to me through the years. But the result was Samson was born, grew in favor, and went on in the next few chapters um, to bring about a great uh, victory in defeating the Philistines and seeing the whole nation come out of the Philistine oppression for 40 years. So really, just in conclusion, I just wanted to emphasize the things that I think God's speaking to us about this, that God does want to speak to us, and I think encounters with God, times where God is speaking to us individually, speaking to us as a church, are really very important, and we want to be a people who seek God, both as individuals and as a church, that that is the hallmark, first and foremost, that we seek God's presence But clearly, as I've emphasized through this, our response to God speaking is is crucial. How we respond to one another, how we respond to God, um, it really is a way in which we can either release more of the supernatural or we can shut it down and God's just going to bide his time until we learn the lesson, uh, which is sadly what Israel had to go through. I am responsible for my response so no one else can make me behave the right way. We really don't want to be those, we're just not going to be those who who go through control and go through formulas and go through, this is the right way, because that's not how God operates. As soon as you create a formula, God says, right, I'm going to do it a different way. Um, Not because he's perverse, but because he wants us to learn the lesson that he doesn't work by our sense of fairness, by our rules and responsibilities. So it is my responsibility when God moves. Do I take offense or do I choose not to take offense? Do I paint myself into the picture and include myself in all that God's doing, or do I count myself out as, that's for other people and clearly not for me? And in the midst of all of the amazing things that Stu's prophecy brought, we are going to have huge impact in the uh, the nation. That really struck me. Impact craters. Sounds great when you see it, but impacts are often quite painful, aren't they? They're often pretty turbulent, and sometimes God does stuff, and it just feels like an explosion has gone off in the midst of our lives. Um... But, you know, if we keep our focus on God, then we will see something beautiful and amazing come out from it. So, but it is easy for us to get distracted by the amazing thing that God's doing. And so the other response when God's moving is we always keep our focus on God. So if we can do this, if we can look for and expect encounters with God, if we can honor one another and receive one another well and help one another in our different stages then I believe that we will create an environment from which God can transform a nation and which God can use the freedom that he's bringing us into, the grace that we can live in, the miraculous that we can see, and through that God will transform a nation. And that's just a, a great hope to have and a great expectation for the future.